0: Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. What an exciting time for you guys! You got your new pastor coming right uh, next week. Man, hi, honey. How you doing? <laughs> Hey, I, this is an exciting, exciting time for you. A lot of vision casting that's coming. God's going to do some great things in and through this church. And I'm so excited for you guys and so I'm pumped. And my wife and I will be praying for you. And we're so excited about what the Lord is doing and is about to do uh, through this ministry. Uh, just a couple of things I wanted to share. I don't know if uh, last week they had a picture of me up, by the way. Uh, this is a two-part sermon. I was here last week. I don't know if you were here last week. But they had a picture of me up that uh, I, I was like 20 pounds thinner. I had no gray in my beard. I was thinking, man, I want to shake someone's hand, whoever chose that picture, because that was just a great impression of who I am. So this is what you got (laughs) right here. Uh, I got the memo. I don't know about you. Look, there's like flannel everywhere throughout the whole uh, sanctuary. So, uh, you know, praise the Lord for that. Um, So one of the things I want to do real quickly, uh, this is the second Sunday that I've been here. It's just been a real, real blessing. And a pleasure um, to be able to um, just be able to um, share my heart and share what the Lord's laid on my heart. A couple of things I wanted to share with you as well. Uh, You may not know this. I just want to, I'm going to actually just call them out. My parents are here, by the way. This is right over here in the corner. Raise your hand. Lou and Connie Butler. Uh, So they're here, by the way. And so this is just a blessing for me. Plus, it's my mom's birthday today. So, I know. Yeah. I just had to do that, I'm so sorry guys. Uh, So uh, we're gonna go out and eat a lunch, it's gonna be a good day for the butlers, uh, so I just wanna kinda share that uh, with you as well. Um, So one of the things I'll tell you is, um, we are going to be continuing just a series that we started last week. Uh, And the series is basically called A Great Hope in the Lion's Den. Um, And this is a uh, kind of a a, a story about a, a young boy named Daniel. And one of the things about this story is I believe that it has great potential to really encourage us and inform us as believers uh, who have a biblical worldview on how to live and operate and be used by God in a culture that oftentimes is referred to as a post-Christian culture. And we're going to look at um, uh, Daniel in just a moment. And one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to share a little bit of a review on what we talked about last time. Uh, we were here. So the first thing I want to do is I want to share with you about this scripture. It says this, it says, so the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. All right. Then the king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. All right. So you're going to have to help me in the back. We good? Okay. Let's see. Yes. Hey, let's give the Lord a hand on that. Technology, right? Technology. Awesome, awesome. All right. So last week, real quickly, one of the things that we talked about was this. First of all, we've seen this or we've heard this a lot in a lot of authors talk about this, a lot of pastors, this idea of a post-Christian culture. So we've seen this movement away from kind of Judeo-Christian values uh, in our culture. And so the idea of being able to say, how do we operate in that? And one of the things that we talked about last week is that the book of Daniel is more than just a Sunday school teacher's dream. Uh, if, If you know the book of Daniel, there's all of these stories about the lion's Den, the Three Boys in the Fiery Furnace. I mean, there are so many awesome stories in there. And if you grew up in the church like I did, man, that was an exciting book to learn about because you thought, man, I'd love to be those Three Boys in the Fiery Furnace. Can you imagine being Daniel being down in that lion's den? But one of the things we want to make sure that we understand is this book is written specifically for you and me in this period of time. It's not just about some neat stories. Daniel was real. Nebuchadnezzar was real. Babylon was real. And if we look at Babylon, it is highlighted in the book of Revelations as really one of the worst of the worst cultures in relationship to anti-Christian or or secular kind of a movement of of anti-Christian thinking that sometimes we may see an increasing measure in our current culture. So we want to say, how is it that Daniel was able to not just survive in Babylon, but he was able to thrive? And that's something that I think we can definitely learn from the, the book of Daniel. So last week, we talked about two hope principles. I'm going to share with you five total hope principles, last week was two, that I believe that Daniel would share with us if he was here today on how he not only survived in Babylon, but how he thrived in Babylon. And by the way, it's not necessarily about Daniel. God is always the one that's the hero, by the way. So I just want to make sure that we understand that. God is the one who's the hero. We're called to be a light. Guess what? I'm sorry if this is a a deal breaker or or something that, that, that discourages you. You're not a light. You're called to reflect who is the light. And that's Jesus Christ. Let me repeat that. You're not a light. We're called to reflect light. That's a truth that we need to just resonate today. First thing we shared last week was number one, in the very beginning book of Daniel, what we see is King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he takes over Jerusalem. And there's a very specific scripture in there that says, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, who was the king of Judah. He delivered him to King Nebuchadnezzar. So the first biblical principle that I think Daniel would share with us is, if I, if I wanted to share with you my attitude, why I did the things I did, how I operated in Babylon, the first thing I would tell you is I had to hold on to this fact that God is in control of who's in control. That's the first thing that I believe Daniel would tell us. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, man has free will. Both exist simultaneously. Only, in my opinion, only God understands that. But what I will tell you is, as Daniel would say, you better not release either one of those, but I'll tell you, you better hold tight to this idea that God is sovereign Amen. in a Babylonian culture. The second thing. I think he would share with this, which we talked about last week, is that hardships are inevitable. The scripture says it's not if, but when trouble comes. Trouble will come, and often trouble is confusing. Trouble happens for multiple different reasons. Sometimes it's our choices. Sometimes it's certain things that happen to us. But Daniel found himself in a situation as a a young boy where he was caught up in the wake and the backwash of God's judgment on his own people. And so what happened was is that God delivered his people into King Nebuchadnezzar's hands for a purpose. And that's what Daniel would say. They're inevitable and often confusing, but never wasted. Daniel knew something that Joseph knew. Joseph looked at his brothers and said, what? What you meant for bad, God used for good. And when we come to know Jesus as our personal Savior, and we accept the Holy Spirit into our lives, what we talked about last week was this that the Holy Spirit comes in and looks at Satan, and he says, what you meant for bad, God will use for good, and I'm going to use it for the sake of the kingdom. So get out of here, Satan. I'm about to use what you was going to put them down with, and I'm going to use it for the sake of encouraging the believers and for building the church, not just church happen, but for new professions of faith. That's exciting stuff. I had a friend of mine the other day tell me this. I, don't, I think it's true. Fastest growing church right now in new professions of faith. It's in Iran. It's Muslim women who are being converted to Christianity and they're converting other Muslim women in their homes. That is awesome. Amen. There was a Christian song that came in when I pulled in and it says this. When the pressure comes, i never heard this song before. When the pressure comes, God's building diamonds. I like that. So there are two truths that we talked about last week. I want to make sure we cover those if you weren't here. So when we look at this, this is a metaphor. The lion's den in this scripture I'm using as what? The Babylonian culture. Rescue Daniel is this. Daniel was rescued when he had a different change of mindset. And that's what I really think God wants to do with us today, is to recognize who's the hero and really challenge our mindset on really what's true and what's not true. So, five hope principles. Let's look at this idea of Daniel. The first thing we want to say is that Daniel, he said at the very beginning, he was resolved. Resolved means he made a decision to do or not do ahead of time. This is significant. And so did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, by the way. And that's why whenever they were asked to bow before this idol, they said, we ain't doing it. So there's a time to draw a line. There are certain times where as believers we say, this is where the line is drawn. And they knew about God's sovereignty. Watch their language right before they get put in the fiery furnace. What do they say? They basically look at him and say, Can your king deliver you? Can your God deliver you? You know what they said? He can. He can. But if he, even if he doesn't, we're not bowing to this idol because they had a different mindset. Now, what's great about Daniel is he was resolved, but he had some wisdom in this resolve. Let's look at his wisdom first of all. Let's think about this. Daniel was in an environment where King Nebuchadnezzar was trying to assimilate all of these uh, young boys, all these young men into his culture. And one of the ways he did that was he changed their names. Now, I'll just tell you, the name that Daniel got, if you don't know what that means, it means the prince of the devil. That's what that name means. But let me tell you something What's interesting. I've always been kind of really pondering this. Why didn't Daniel say, I, don't, I ain't going to take that name. I ain't going to take that name. You don't ever see that. Why? Maybe it's because Daniel knew his identity and that it was a child of God and it wasn't Belshazzar. But he didn't say anything. Also, look at this. He studied the language, the literature, the religion of the Babylonians for three years. So he was put into a assimilation school where he studied this for three years and he was number one in his class. Wow! You say, golly, Daniel, how much can you tarry? Well, this is something else. He served a godless king that stole from God and mocked God. Daniel's still just there, humble. He's not doing anything. And then all of a sudden, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, they come down with this diet. Very strange. All of a sudden, this diet comes down the pike. you got to eat this meat. you got to eat all these different various things. And this is where Daniel says, you know what, I've got to somewhat draw a line here. Now, here's what it's great about Daniel, in my opinion, on how this can encourage us. This is something that Daniel just didn't draw a line, but he actually used some wisdom to be able to say, couldn't we negotiate a little bit? See, this is significant. This is significant. Let's look at let's look at the scripture. This is what Daniel says. Please test your servant for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water and drink. Then compare our appearance with that of young men who eat royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So, the so he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, those boys looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate that royal food. This is awesome. He he did not he did not. Uh, he drew the line, but he didn't draw the line in which he wasn't operating with some wisdom to be able to say, I'm just going to not just draw a line, but I'm going to come on some negotiate on really what's essential. And all, one of the things that's great about this for me is I, I'm not an Old Testament scholar, but there's something about Old Testament and, and, and what they're eating and how, you know, there's certain things that were unclean. And something for Daniel that was very significant, in my opinion, was he's like, I'm not eating that because I'm going to protect what's clean in here. I'm going to get back to that. I'm going to protect what's clean in here. So this is kind of an interesting conundrum. So this is what I believe that Daniel would say. Hope principle number three, he'd say, God's fences help us navigate culture. God's fences help us navigate culture. What do I mean by that? When we look at Daniel, we're going to see a couple of things. The first one is this. There's a difference between what God forbids and what you don't like. I'll repeat that. There's a difference between what God forbids and what we do not like. When you're moving in a way in which we're we're looking at norms within a culture, there might be certain things that are traditions, even within the church, certain things that we have held true. The question is, is it something that God forbids? That is something we need some direction on via the Holy Spirit. And Daniel knew this, that look, there's going to be a time where I'm going to face something that God forbids. You're going to call me the prince of Satan? Do so. My security is firm and that I'm a child of God, and it's not any big deal what you call me. And granted, isn't this interesting? God forbids Daniel to practice Babylonian religion, but he doesn't forbid Daniel to study it. That's a significant difference. So I'm going to challenge us in this way. God's fences are enough. I think this is what Daniel would say. God doesn't need our help to navigate culture and to make the gospel attractive in adding to what he forbids. What we do a number of times, and I am guilty of this, is we'll say this. We call it scaredy-cat Christianity. This idea of here's where God's fence is. I'm going to put two more fences down the way to just make sure that I'm not at this fence. Now here's what I'm going to tell you because this can be something that's con- confusing. If I, I'll give you an example. I have a good brother in the Lord and he, is, he has a battle plan in relationship to uh, pornography. I'll just share that out. And he travels a lot. And you know what he tells me? He said, you know, when I travel and I go into my hotel room... Oh, it's okay. I talk about this, by the way, right? I'm I'm real. And so you know what he does? He he grabs a towel out of the bathroom and he puts it over the TV as soon as he gets in in the room. And he doesn't move that towel the whole time he's there. He told me that and I was like, praise the Lord, man. That's great. So what we're talking about here is if you have a battle plan that includes a protective nature for your own spiritual wellness, temptations that you have, I'm just here to let you know we celebrate that. I celebrate that. I say do that. Be that. But... We do not want to be guilty in a Babylonian culture to add to God's fences and become more like the Pharisees where we're trying to impose that on each other. That is not who Daniel was. And so I think there's some truth there for us to chew on. And then finally, God's spirit is enough. We have this idea of scaredy-cat Christianity and this idea that we might get spiritual cooties. And what I mean by that is this. We need to have friends who are non-believers. The Bible says this, Come out from among you and be ye separate, saith the Lord. But if we are so preoccupied on being separate, on being separate, on being separate, how are we going to be influencing anything? Amen. The Great Commission does not happen in a Christian bubble. That's a good challenge for us. Daniel didn't have a choice. But I'm just going to tell you, I think that's what we're called to be. So this idea of God's spirit is enough. First John 4, 4, you know what that says? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That means if I encounter something, an unbeliever, some evil, whatever, in this world, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That's his truth. Let's walk in that. Let's not say, "Oh, I need to stay away. Oh, we don't want to be engaged in that conversation. Oh, we don't want to do this or that. Yeah, there's a process of spiritual development and discipleship, but let's not reside in a Christian bubble. So that's hope principle number three. Number four, this is Daniel. Biblical humility influences others. You know what's great about the Bible? I can barely ever see any time where someone called by God influences anything through force, through, through some sort of, you know, resolve. Other than this, humility is powerful. And the humility that we're talking about here is not the humility that we see a lot of times in our world. And in, in our world, this is how our world defines humility, in my opinion. They'll be like this. Yeah, um. I can't, you know, I'm the fastest runner, you know, in class, but I'm really not very good. Like, and like if they say, okay, I'm I'm not very good at running. And they'll say, they're the fastest runner. Humility is not saying what we're, what we're not, if we are. Does that make sense? Like, like that's how we define humility a lot of times. It's like, you know, like, there's people, in it, like uh, my, I'll just use my dad. He's really good at golf. He's pretty good at racquetball. And dad can beat me at racquetball. He knows the corners. And I run around like a chicken. And he knows all the angles. And, and it is not humility for dad to say to me, I'm really not very good. Although he may talk smack a little bit like that. What, what is humility, biblical humility? Is this, it's when we treat others better than ourselves. Period. Biblical humility. Jesus said, I am God. And then he also said, what? He's a servant. Jesus said, Come follow me. And he washes the disciples' feet. It's not Jesus saying, I'm something other than I'm not but I am going to model for you what it means to treat others greater than yourselves. That is what Daniel did in this chapter, and it was powerful on how it influenced the culture. So, biblical humility. Also, Daniel gets promoted, and what I want to do is I want to share with you this scripture in Daniel Daniel 4.19. This is whenever... Daniel shares the answer for, for Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and God's judgment is about to come. And this is what Daniel says. I'm going to just jump to this real quickly. Belshazzar, which is Daniel, answered, after he tells him this, he answers, My Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. What? Let's think about this for a second. What is Daniel saying here? Daniel is telling Nebuchadnezzar about God's judgment coming upon him. And if if this was me, that's why I got this down. If this was me, this is my temptation. I'd be like this. King Nebuchadnezzar, I've been praying for you. And judgment's coming like a boom. I told you so. I told you so. Not very humble. You know what Joseph does? Or, excuse me, Daniel. Daniel says this, anyone but you. I-, I-, I wish anyone but you this was true for. No wonder he got promoted. No wonder he influenced the culture. No one but you. All right, so, a couple of other thoughts. Persuasion versus cultural warfare. When we are in a post-Christian culture... It's really, really great on Sunday. I'm with you. Encourage each other. But there is a war. It's a spiritual war that is is referred to in Ephesians, the last chapter. We are called to be in this war. But there is somewhat of a culture war. And again, are we focused on a culture war more than persuasion? I'll give you an example. Anybody here have maybe some difficult people at their jobs? Or maybe, you know, Thanksgiving's coming and uh, Christmas is coming. You ever, everyone's got them. And you know what? You're probably, to some people, this person. (laughs) You're thinking this. Oh, gosh, do I have to see them? Oh, geez. Do I have to sit next to them? Oh, Man, this is just so trying. Or there might be some real hostility. I'm talking about some serious tension. There's a significant thing here that Daniel knew in my mind. Daniel knew this. King Nebuchadnezzar is not my enemy. He he thought this in my opinion. King Nebuchadnezzar is a victim of my enemy that is a significant change in thinking. I'll repeat it. Who you have ought with is not your enemy. They are victims of your enemy. We need that perspective to navigate a Babylonian type culture. So, last thing I'll share about this, I'm going to show you this scripture. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, ouch, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in hope that God will grant them repentance. This is our hope, that everyone will come to the knowledge and saving grace of Jesus Christ through our influence. Repentance leading them to a knowledge of the truth that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil. They are victims of our enemy who has taken them capture not anymore not if I have any influence and God wants to use me I praise the Lord for that I'm praying for that will you pray with me but I love this to everyone here's what I'll tell you I have I uh, Larry Anderson he's a a pastor in, in California he says this he says I have prayed and prayed and prayed and I've looked at this scripture in the Greek which I don't know how to do and all the various different deep meanings, and I have tried my best to convince myself in some way that everyone doesn't mean everyone. It does. It is everyone. That's a good challenge. That's number four. Hope and our principle number five. We're almost there. Round in the gate. It's this one hope comes with eternity in mind. Let me repeat that. Hope comes with eternity in mind. So, let's look at hope real quickly. If we think about when we experience despair, and again, it's not if, but when. We will all experience some level of despair, downtroddenness, some sort of an experience where we need encouraged. But if we really step back just for a second, and we really look at what it means to be a believer a Christ follower, what it means for us with eternity in mind. Christian despair is an oxymoron. It doesn't make sense. And we get in that situation many times because we have an unconsciousness about what's real. God is real. He's coming back for his church. And you know what? I'm going to be in heaven and you get to see this ugly mug for eternity. (laughs) And I don't know where you're going to live. I hope it's by me. And we're going to have a Awesome time. I'm looking forward to that. So let's look at the idea of biblical hope. Biblical hope is not this idea that we just hope it happens. Well, we wish you well. We're hoping that it happens. Biblical hope is certainty. I'll repeat that. Biblical hope is certainty. There is, you know, God can do it. There's God will do it. And then there's, it's as good as done. That's where I want my hope today. And my hope, my hope is that you are with me on that. Amen? So, let's look at this idea. why we wait for the blessed hope, and boy, it's going to be blessed. I'll just tell you this. I know I'm running low on time. I'll just tell you this. A, a Christian life, there's so much blessing in it. Whether or not Even even eternity was in the place. It's worth it. It's, and let me tell you, it's worth it. It's worth it. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. This is in Titus 2.13. So let's just share with some hope killers before we wrap up. First one is this. We call it Gigo, G-I-G-O. This is an old computer term. And uh, it basically means this: garbage in, garbage out. If you, if, you, if you think about computer terms, you, you, you put in bad code, you're going to get bad results. And here's what I'm going to tell you is I think it's no accident that Daniel drew the line about things that he felt would be somewhat unclean for him inside. And I don't want to get all legalistic about it, but what I will tell you is that misinformation, negative information, all of this stuff that's coming to us via social media, the media, all of this, these talking points, talk radio, I'm not here to get all legalistic about it, but what I will tell you is, is that if we are feeding our minds, hearts, and souls with this information constantly, and we're not feeding our hearts, minds, and souls with the Word of God and what's true, it will be something that will kill our hope. I promise. And any time I've been down, it's been one of these things. Now, here, remember this? Remember Y2K? Well, oh, my gosh. So there's always these individuals that we have in our culture, and we just call them, they're, they're crying, they're wolf criers, Oh, oh, woe is me. Oh, something's coming. Right? And here's the thing I do. Just two cents. My two cents. I treat them like prophets. If what they say comes to pass, I might start listening to them. But if it doesn't come to pass, I start thinking I might want to ignore what they have to say. Now, that's just, that's just my, my two cents. Y2 came, came down the pike. And uh, you know what? It came and gone. And it was okay. Everyone's all right. We thought maybe the banking industry was going to collapse. But even if it does, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, our God is able. That's good stuff. He's with us in the furnace. Spiritual myopia and spiritual amnesia. You know what spiritual myopia is? Myopia means this, nearsightedness. We get a problem so right in front of our face that it kills our hope. Because we're so nearsighted about what it is that's real. This is spiritual myopia. I think we should take this to the Lord and pray about that, if that's something that we deal with. Anxiety. Let me just tell you this. There's been studies. I've been, been in multiple groups that have, done these, that have seen these studies on when social media came down the pike and certain things, especially social media. And the increase in anxiety, I mean, it just Skyrockets. There's been studies done where where people were were measured about anxiety before. They allow them to be on social media for a period of time. And and again, I'm not anti-technology. Social media is a tool. That's all it is. It can be used for the kingdom. Absolutely. And I encourage that. But this idea of, of spiritual myopia is something. Spiritual amnesia. This idea that we have forgotten the blessings of God. In, in our own lives. I'll just tell you this. This scripture right here, Exodus 14.1, this is whenever the Israelites were out in the desert. And it's so odd to me. You know, you look at it, hindsight's twenty twenty. So odd. And you think this. The, the, the Israelites are like, did you bring us out here to die to Moses? Remember that? Did you bring us out here to just die? And you're thinking, my goodness. Like, what if just leadership said, have you forgotten the plagues have you forgotten the Passover? Have you forgotten? I mean, they could share, whoa, one right after the other of all of these blessings and how easy it is for us to also forget these blessings. So here's what I'm going to do real quick because my time is gone and you guys have been great. I'm going to share with you two quick stories. One of these stories, I don't know, you may, you may look at me and not in a good light. I don't know. But this is my last Sunday anyway, so I'm <laughs> out of here. <laughs> All right, so here's here's what I'll tell you. Number one, I saw this movie a while back, early 2000, I think. It's called uh, this uh, this is a um, what's it called? Whenever spoiler, Spoil- This is a spoiler alert. Okay, heads up. And it's called uh, Sixth Sense. I saw this movie, and I was getting ready to I was getting ready to watch it. And uh, everybody's like, it's so scary, man. And I'm like, all right, I'll take take a shot at it. And so I started watching. And my wife, Belinda, who's sitting right over there, she comes in and she does this. She goes, oh, is this that story where that guy's dead and he doesn't know it? Bruce Willis that's what she said is this that story where Bruce Willis is dead the entire time and he doesn't even know it now some of you relate to that story because you don't know he's dead or he doesn't know he's dead to the very end and that's what makes the story the story so that I I, I was just like seriously (laughs) brutal so that's one story that, some of you can relate to that story. Here's another story. We've got the Chicago Bears. I'm a Bears fan. I'm from <laughs> Illinois. <clears throat> okay, Bears fan. I've been a Bears fan. So here's the thing. They're, bl- they're, playing, they're, they're playing the Cardinals. This is in 2006. And this thing came out. What's this thing that you can, like, record stuff? Like a, a DVR. DVR. Yeah. So I would recorded this. And the thing is, is that at that time th- this was recorded, and I had inadvertently taken a glance at the at the news or something and I'd seen that the Bears won this game. And the truth is, is this was in 2006, and so I went into this game knowing who was going to win. The thing about this game is, is that at the end of the third quarter, the Cardinals were winning 21-3, and the Bears fans were just defeated they were just downright just leaving the stands they were like this i'm out checked out third quarter comes around very end of the third quarter let me tell you something in the fourth quarter they get three touchdowns two of them were defensive touchdowns and a third one was special teams you if you're honest when you know the end of the story, it impacts how you see things and how you experience things. Let me just tell you this real quickly. When that third quarter came around and I knew the end of the story, I wasn't frustrated. I saw all those people leaving and I thought, now if I didn't know the end of the story, I would have maybe thrown something out of TV. <laughs> but here's the truth. Both of these stories is helping us to see one thing. If you're, if you're a believer, and I don't mean this in a crash, you know, like, I don't mean this in a bad way, but if you're a believer, we win. Amen. It's already there. It's written. Hang on. It's times like this where we have an opportunity to humbly be able to influence a Babylonian culture and be used by God not just to thrive, or excuse me, not just to survive, but to thrive. And if you need any hope at all, I just want to reiterate uh, this story and that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord is saved on my DVR, and I've seen it. And I want you to see it. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be encouraged by the story of Daniel. Lord, we ask that um, you would just speak to us as only you can. And Lord, we thank you for um, your word. We thank you for your patience with us. We thank you, Lord, that um, you have... No accident, Lord, that you have placed us in this time and place, in this culture by which we live. We know, Lord, that we're not a light, but we're to reflect your light. And Lord, boy, it shines even brighter in the darkness. And Lord, we look forward to that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.